Yeah, I'm ready. Good morning, Grinders! Welcome to the DFS pregame show. We're starting up, we're starting up back again, Mondays through Fridays, here 11 a.m. Eastern Time, in the morning, every weekday, Monday through Fridays. You sign up, subscribe, subscribe to the YouTube channel, RG YouTube channel, hit that thumbs up button, hit the the notification bell, every, uh, every, every weekday. 11 a.m. It'll be me uh, going over uh, yesterday's slate, talking about DFS strategy, looking at a preview of, of today's slate to some extent. It's it's NBA. By 5.30 Eastern, everything changes. It doesn't matter. We don't know who's sitting, who's not sitting. Projections change. So it's kind of looking at a 50,000-foot view, answering your questions in the chat. If you have anything about strategy, about the tools here at Roto-Grinders, like Lineup HQ, uh, feel free to just type them in. I see, I see people in here. Tony Tishauer, right? Daniel's here. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I got my got my orange juice. Got got my orange and my apple juice. Right. Keep it cold. Hit that thumbs up button. It used to be coffee, right? I don't, I don't drink coffee anymore. So so there you go. So you keep the apple juice cold. But uh, on Mondays, on on special Mondays, Mondays are going to be Mondays with McCool. So uh, the co-author, I I I. I me and uh, James did uh, did the theory of daily fantasy sports. It's a fifteen hour audio masterclass for for DFS. All the game theory involved with that. So so for for this show, I, I bring I bring on James here, uh, my co author. And it's it's. Do you prefer James? Do you prefer McCool Mondays or Mondays with McCool? You know, I, I think that should be something chat sides, right? Like, I, I think that McCool Mondays sounds uh, a little bit more fanatic, but, like, however the people want to describe it, like, who am I to decide that, you know? Well, yeah, they, well, could, give they, you, they could give you a name that you don't like. I mean, it may not be McCool Mondays. That's, it could be McFool Mondays, which, which was a nickname that I had earlier in my DFS career. It was McFool. And uh, KYT, um, Kari Young Tom, he's a guy who, like, is pretty uh, pretty frequent in the RG discords and stuff like that, and he's a good friend of mine, and he refers to me as McFool too. So, you know, if if I get a nickname, then it is what it is. I'll run with it. I'm not easily insulted. Uh, were you uh, were McFool were... yesterday's slate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, yesterday's slate was. I, I mean, I think that yesterday's slate made a lot of sense in terms of like Brunson being a very good play, but then outside of that, there were. Uh, I split things up a lot between the studs, but a lot of things that made sense to use worked out really well, and we saw some pretty high scores in lineups last night. Right. Last night, last night I had uh, Steph Curry saved me in cash games. I only played I only played cash yesterday because of, of NFL 
right? I was more concerned with, uh, you know, the, the 8 p.m. game, the, the eight games in the late slate. If it was like a three, three part, you know, like the normal three games late, I would have, I would have done more NBA stuff, but I was like, okay, I'll play some of the, the afternoon only contests. So I just, I just ran a cash lineup for DraftKings and FanDuel. And for those that don't know, I've been tracking. I, I have a publicly, uh, publicly accessible Google sheet. You, you can't edit it, but I mean, you can view it. Uh, that I'll put up on the screen now. I also produce this show, so if there's the hey, why are things going on or whatever, it's 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 because I have to click on everything. We don't have Devin for these shows, so uh, let me let me click over here. Okay, we have lineup HQ over there, but here here's the the cash tracking uh, bankroll tracker. I, I track this in Roto Tracker as it is, but I just uh, from the sake of just cash games, and I'm using the uh, uh, the Roto Grinders projections. So I know on the first show we did a special one. On the 23rd, so you had the, the first two days of my results. But, uh, you know, yesterday I got, uh, you know, Steph Curry bailed me out with a 75 burger in, in cash. Uh, that He was only like 30% owned in the higher stakes stuff. So uh, so this is what this is why I do. So if you if you want a link to, to this, uh, feel free to look on my Twitter uh, and the RG Discord. Uh, I mean, I, I'll be showing it every day. So it's, it's, it's not like something like, oh, if you don't see it once in a while. But I just want to track. I know we're going to talk a lot about GPP strategies on this show, but uh, but people there there's still cash game people out there. So you know, try to build the best median possible lineup with the best floor ceiling combination that you can to score in double ups and head to heads. But you can see here that uh, you know Fanduel, FanDuel's been running hot. We've been running hot on Fanduel, uh, but still, but still pretty good. So, I mean, I mean, James, uh, I started with a twenty thousand dollar bankroll which is not like my real bankroll. It's just for the sake of, of this, you know, so I could play 10%, around 10% of, of whatever it is. So right now it's up to 26,942. So that means today I'll be playing about $2,700 in cash, about 55 to 60% head-to-heads, 30 to 35% double-ups, and about 5 to 10% triple-ups, three-mans, those types of things. Uh, but uh, for the first two weeks of NBA action, uh, uh, an overall win rate of in contests of 64.7% with a 23% ROI and about $7,000 in profit is pretty good, right? Yeah, that's that's pretty good for sure. Um, I mean, I, I documented my head-to-head win rate in NFL, and as, as we mentioned in Theory DFS, about a 55% win rate in head-to-heads is about break-even. That's when you start actually making money. So 64%. Uh, that ROI is going to be great, especially if you're able to do well in the triple ups and the and the quads and stuff like that. Um, that that's where the uh, the upside is baked into cash games, right? Because double ups and head to heads, you're not really getting any upside there. You're trying to break over so that you can cover your GPP losses. Um, but those double ups and, or the triple ups are the ones where you're going to be able to actually find any upside on your on your cash games. So a 64% win rate is fantastic. Uh, over with, um, with Paydirt over in my community, we're at a 63% win rate in cash using a slightly different strategy than just going after the medians. But I, I think there are a couple different ways that you can attack cash games. And um, the Roto-Grinders had to, the Roto-Grinders optimal has just been great to start the year, like fantastic. Um, just being able to optimize through that. You see trains of it every single day. So I'm sure that it is doing well enough that people are continuing to utilize it every single day. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, the, I mean the, the, the thing is, is that like, like you have projections yet you could have, if you run projections for the knapsack problem to figure out like what the highest median builds are, 
Like the difference between the first one and the tenth one is less than a point a lot of times. I right. mean, and has three different players in it, so it's it's not it's not necessarily a matter of oh my projections say X. Let me run. Let me let me run it through. And yes, that I guess I'm playing. You know, and you see some thirty seven hundred dollar guy that has a variance of. He could get, yeah, sure, his median's 18, but it, it could be 6 today. It could be 24. His minutes could chew. You know, like, it's a very fragile situation. Uh, low usage, so it's like, if he gets hot, he's great. But if he, he may not get any usage, that that may not be the best for for, for at least reducing variance in, in cash games. So it's not just a matter of, like, like oh, I, my projections say my highest lineup is 292, so I'm going to play that... Uh, like yes, in the if we played this slate out a million times, you'll re, you'll realize the small difference between the point oh uh, seven between the first one and the second one. But in the in the grand scheme of things, probably maybe the second one is actually better, or the fifth one is actually better. I mean, like like it's yes, from a technical stand. I always have to say this from from a technical standpoint, from a mathematical standpoint. The highest projected median lineup is has the highest EV, right? Like that's this that's as long as your projections are good, right? Obviously, so but it's just that in in real in realist in realism, we say this in GPPs also. Like you could you could build the greatest correlated leverage lineups you want that have great win equity and two hundred fifty thousand person GPPs, but uh, you could be, and you could have the greatest lineups and not realize that EV for us. Uh, 17 lifetimes and like and that would be normal so just because it's mathematically true doesn't mean that that within your lifetime you actually get to realize that yeah i I talk about that a lot of um when when you're playing gpps you almost all like have to expect to lose and and, like you have to go in because if you're building lineups that like actually give you win equity and gpps and the huge gpps you're gonna lose a lot like a lot a lot a lot uh, and, well, and, yeah, you don't have to go in. Well, here, the funny thing is, is that you should always have to expect to lose because when only twenty to twenty-five percent of the field even gets paid on a lineup, like the if everything was equal, if all your lineups were equal, if everyone's lineups were equal, and the payout is the top twenty-two percent, that means seventy-eight percent of the time you'll lose. Like that's the that's the baseline. People look at that and they expect to win. More often than not, it's like, no, actually, the normal, the baseline is 78%. So if you're building barbell lineups, lineups that have high win equity, but obviously they have low, you know, they could really show up at the bottom. Like, your your likelihood of cashing, your likelihood of, of cashing probably goes down. You're probably going to lose 90% of the time. But now the times that you win, you're more likely to be in the top 1% versus just in the top 10 or 15%. And that's the goal. It, it, the goal is to get 1% lineups. Um, and, and then, you know, we, we talked about coin flips a lot in Theory DFS, where when you have a 1% lineup, you're basically a coin flip away from having a very, very good night. Um, you know, maybe earlier in the year, uh, I had Anthony Davis put up 30 fantasy points, whereas if he puts up his regular median, I, I end up winning the contest. And it's like, okay, well, that sucks. But I understand that playing that over, playing that slate that many times over, playing a million times, I likely end up winning that GPP a couple times over those simulations just because I had that one player that was a coin flip away. And that's really what you're aiming for in GPPs, whether you have one lineup or 150 lineups, is you're you're hoping to get those 1% lineups. Um, 
and that's really the difference between cash and GPPs, right? Is you're you're not building. You don't want those one percent lineups in GP or one percent lineups in cash. Uh, you you want like a fifty five percent lineup in cash and nothing more. You like you you don't even want guys who find high ceilings in cash. You want to save that for GPP. Well, well, well. well you well, need the combination. Well, hold on. I mean, I I just want to like your tech. I understand what you're saying. Like it's one of those things where like between me yeah. and you, I get what you're saying. You're saying it to, as as a broad concept, but uh, your whole your lineup as a whole. So for instance, oh, it's 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 quite possible to roster high ceiling and more variant players because they could bail out your lineup. I mean, look at Steph Curry last night with me. It's like, do I play Steph Curry? Do I play Zach Levine and play a different construction and play Dorian Finney-Smith in my lineup? And Dorian Finney-Smith is one of those guys where you don't feel good when he's in there. It's like, he's Luca's out, it's 4,200, and you're like, uh, I mean, he could get 30 points in this spot. He also could get 10 and 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 Tim Hardaway in my lineup at fifty eight hundred, and you're like, well, he he better shoot well. Like there there were ways to get a, a better, I would say a a, a so, more solid floor, but it was the highest median lineup. It's just a matter of like, well, at least I have guys in there that if they go, they put up an eighty eighty fifth percentile outcome. Like I'm bailed out anyway. Like Steph Curry, you know, bails out my Robert Gobert who just got to his median. If the game didn't blow out, he would have gotten 50 plus. So it's not, it's not just like, like, oh, I need to get up to the 55th percentile. Well, in double ups, yes. But in head to heads, I mean, you win more of your head to heads as a portfolio, the higher up sure. you get. So, so a lot of times in, in cash games, James, I lo- I take a look at the lineup that I'm most likely to run. And then sometimes based on it, I go, well, this is a little bit lo- a little bit more lopsided than normal, and then I start putting my lineup in more triple ups and three mans to at least realize like if if I do get the ceiling result out of one or two of these players, then I'm le- I'm at least getting like three x on my money and not just two x on everything. Yeah, and, and that's a that's a fair way to look at it. Let me ask you a question. Um, we're we're talking about medians and floors and ranges of outcomes like between the variants of players. Have you ever thought about optimizing based on floor rather than median and seeing how that would go? Uh, I mean, you could do it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I mean, does it really, I mean, you're, you're basing it like a floor would be like the 16th percentile outcome. So, I mean, like sure. obviously, you know, cause you have 1684 that makes up that 68%, like the one standard deviation in there. I mean, you can, Hey, you could, when people ask uh, at Roto Grinders, cause you could sign up for premium rotogrinders.com slash premium, $10 off your first month to get uh, all the NBA stuff. The NBA projections are premium. So yeah, you have to pay for them. Uh, so uh, a lot of people ask like, oh, should I use, because should I use the floor projections? Should I use the ceiling projections? Should I use the median projections? Like to me, it doesn't really matter that much. Most of, most of these distributions are fairly normal enough that the differences between your lineups are based on our projections, are not going to be all that different. So you may get some slightly skewed ceilings, slightly slightly higher floors, but we're talking, but that's, to me, that's the difference between the one or two points between the top, you know, 20 optimal lineups that, like, I could, I could view that by eye. But if you wanted to, you would be right. Run, run 100, run, run 100 lineups based on the floor, Run a hundred based on the median, run a hundred based on the ceiling, and see the delta between the players that are in, you know, the, the the players that are more in the floor 
lineups out of 100, you'll run 100. If you say, oh, look, this guy's in, in 86 if I run 100 floor lineups, and in the ceiling projections, he's in 7. Like, to me, that's the definition of, like, this is the guy that you play in cash, and maybe you don't play a lot of in GPP. That, that's a good strategy, too. I, I just wanted to ask your opinion on that because I, I get that question quite a bit on trying to understand the difference between a median and um, a floor for cash because I, back a while ago, I, I would experiment with that. And I think that it's something worth thinking through and um, it's a good explanation for what people should be looking for in cash games because you, you just want people who are going to get there more often and not kill you, right? Like you're trying not to get killed by a player in cash. Right. Matthew P., says, uh, I'm actually shocked more people didn't just jam in Mavs at all costs. I mean, it, it really depends on the contest that you were in. I mean, we're going to take a look here at, uh, at results DB. I brought up a whole bunch, uh, bunch of people, bunch of players here, uh, that finished fairly high. And this is the 150. This is the, the large entry, the large $15 fadeaway, whatever it was called. Uh, Bills fan, Uticow, RBX, Giants, Good Petty Theft, I Sloof at You, Mr. Good Seats, JK, uh, e. Hafner, and you could see, uh, I mean, outside, we'll talk about petty theft in a minute. Uh, Brunson was, was, was 3,300 going to play like 34 minutes with no Luca on the court. Uh, here at, at RG, his, his median projection was over nine X. Uh, like you don't see that. You don't see that that often in, in, in DFS where someone's median projection, like we consider six, like if we see a six X point per dollar, Median, we go, okay, this is this is going to be the chalk today. But when it's like 9x, when, the, when the, the smash percentage, according to our projections, is like 60% at 3,300, like if there, if there wasn't such a thing as a lock, but if uh, you lock them in, I mean, like we take a look here, 98%, 88%, 97%, 87%, 94%, 94%. So like he was 50% owned, but... If you were thinking, oh, I'm going to fade Jalen Brunson because he's chalk. It's like, dude, he was st- he was 50% owned, and that's like, he was still the most under-owned player on the entire slate, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, in, in my models, I had him reaching GPP value 93.47% of the time. Like <laughs> 93.47% of the time. And, and like, I'm somebody who tells people to fade chalk all the time. I'm like, yeah, you can gain a lot of leverage by not having player X or player Y or whatever, or pivoting away from them. But j- like when you have somebody who is 3,300 and you have them projected for 33.91 fantasy points, I, I mean, you just, you eat that no matter what their ownership is going to be. Um, we, we had a situation like that last year where Gordon Hayward ended up playing the game. He was injured and ended up coming into the game. He was like 3,300. And there was nobody else in front of him. He was going to get 35 minutes. He was grossly mispriced. And at that point, when you have a player that projects for 10X, has a chance to hit GPP value 93% of the time, you're not fading for that 6% of the time that it happens. You just lock them and take advantage of the 47% of people that didn't have him for whatever reason. Right, and if he fails, he fails. I'm just, I'm just saying that there are times where a player could be the highest owned and still not high owned enough. I mean, we take a look. Uh, Ronald Cole, Coley asks, uh, is there, "Was I wrong for going with Trey Burke in GPPs because he was going to come in at lower ownership?" But I mean, he wasn't that. He was 34 percent owned. Uh, I, they were both cheap enough that if he wanted to play both in the same lineup, I thought that was that was fine. Uh, but if he if 
If you were going to fade Brunson, you would you, how do you, you would play you would play Jay Rich or Burke instead, but they were all cheap enough that if that you could play them all together. I mean, if anything, if I was going to if I in a lineup, in a single lineup, not like in general, uh I'd be more likely to eat Brunson and not have Richardson, Burke or Hardaway in the lineup than do the opposite. Then go, well, I'm not going to play Brunson, but I'm going to play Hardaway. And, like, Brunson was just, he should have been priced at 6000 on this slate based on the situation, which, of course, the sites don't know this. That's yeah. why when news happens in NBA, everything gets, you know, thrown. The whole market, the inefficiencies come out of the woodwork. That I'm, I'm much more inclined to uh, come in under on guys like Richardson and Hardaway or Finney Smith. Then, then fade a Brunson, and you could see from uh, from from a lot of these top players that I pointed out, that's that's kind of what they did. I mean, a little, Richardson came in high. Uh, we see with Petty Theft, I wanted to bring it out. Like Petty Theft only used forty percent Brunson, seventy two percent Richardson. So like going with the and and not much Burke, four percent Burke in his in his one fifty exposure. Uh, I was just, I'm assuming that Petty was going contrarian and with the fact that Josh Richardson would and basically saying that I think he's his lineups kind of say I'm I'm going to bank on the outcome that Josh Richardson acts as the point guard primarily and he's the one with the ceiling and then try to get different elsewhere and then try to find you know he said Hardaway right 74% Hardaway 72% Richardson uh the only thing I mean my only criticism is that I I I don't think for ceiling Richardson and Hardaway with with the best pairing together personally. That's just me. I mean Petty Theft is a is a great NBA DFS player, but obviously his exposures show Finney Smith 87%, Hardaway 74%, Richardson 72%. Like obviously based on the numbers, they he had a lot he had a lot of lineups that those players overlapped in. And if I were playing GPPs yesterday, which I didn't, uh, I would have been more inclined to do the opposite, but also, obviously, so did everyone else. So there's, there's, I guess, some leverage to be had in lineup construction for doing the Richardson plus Hardaway lineups without Brunson uh, for for differentiation. Yeah, I, I think that if you look at the way that Dallas was going to be distributed for points yesterday, um there probably was going to be, I, I think that having 40% Jalen Brunson there and then 70 to 80% of the other guys, you're basically saying that Dallas is going to score points, but Jalen Brunson is not going to be the main point scorer. Uh, because you could get away with, the, the, these guys weren't that expensive. Hardaway was 5,800. Um, Richardson at 5K. You mentioned Finney Smith. He was under 5K. Like, you could get away with having two or three of these guys in your lineups, but I think that you just needed to avoid having uh, the guys who are very, very reliant on being that point guard, right? I mean, you had to kind of avoid Hardway and Richardson together. I agree with you on that thought. Um, Finney Smith is somebody who just like chucks up threes. He's going to be more reliant on getting the ball distributed to him by somebody else. So I think you could have played him with other guys, but Jalen Brunson at, at 3,300, I tend to agree with you that he was the one that it just made more sense to have vast exposure to him and maybe get your your pivots at other spots. I, I mean, 
Nikola Jokic was projected for 30% ownership last night um, in my aggregate, whereas Russell Westbrook was only projected at 5% ownership. You, you can lock in Brunson and then get a differential there. By going with Westbrook instead of Nikola Jokic, you can still get plenty of relative points there and maintain the ceiling that you get from a $3,300 player that's projected for 10x. Nate Branshaw uh, asked about uh, Ed Davis at 3300 he ended up coming in at one percent. He said in his contest. I think. Let me let me take a look here. Ed Davis, because we fat we saw Ed Davis. Yeah, he, yeah. No, well, some of these people three percent in the large field GPP because we saw the 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 Wolves starting lineup, right? That Naz Reed was not starting and Ed Davis would start. So I mean, Petty Theft had twenty percent. Bills fan at seventeen percent. A little smattering here, you know, around. Uh, I didn't think the news changed all that much. I mean, if anything, it kind of bumped up the usage for for the players that were on the court already and gives Naz better usage on the second unit. And that still doesn't necessarily mean that Ed Davis closes the halves. So so I think Naz got a minutes decrease, but a usage increase. Ed Davis gets a minutes increase, but a usage decrease. So I think from an overall perspective... It was kind of a wash to some extent, and that's why, I'm, I mean, to me, uh, I understand playing the cheap center when everyone is playing Jokic, right? Like the flipping of the construction, because that was the construction last night. The chalk construction was cheap guards, high price uh, center slash small forward, power forward, maybe like uh, you, you use the utility on either Curry or Durant or Levine or Westbrook or something like something like that. Uh, that yes, can I find the cheap center that could go off? Well, it turns out the cheap center was Cantor, uh, and that'll happen sometimes. Uh, but I, I, Ed Davis, at least in our projections, like sure sixteen points, but I mean. I, I didn't, I didn't, he doesn't have the ceiling in order to, I mean, he would, he would have had to have a minutes bump to the point in which Ed Davis was going to play 30 minutes, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, it wasn't like outlandish uh, of, of us at RG to project him not much differently with him starting in Nasna, right? Yeah, I, I haven't projected for 13 fantasy points. Uh, he, he wouldn't have gotten... You nailed it when you said that his usage was going to go down, and he's not a high-usage guy anyway. So, you know, he averages around 0.8 fantasy points per minute on the year so far. I think that in the starting lineup, that probably goes down a little bit, and his minutes weren't going to be absolutely insane. So projecting him for somewhere between 13 and 16, I I had him for less than 1% of the time, him going 7x, even at 3,300. So his ceiling just probably wasn't enough to justify a lot of percent ownership. Um, you know, a 10% dart is maybe the most that I probably would have considered, but uh, I, I agree that going with a cheaper center would have made you very, very different yesterday. I don't know if you needed to be that different, but you could have done it on, on another slate where if Nikola Jokic is going to be 35% owned again and you're trying to find a cheap center, then you can do something like that. But projections and and minutes per or fantasy points per minute and stuff like that, that all still matters. 
you still have to consider that. Yes, he was going to be 1% owned, but he was still only going to find a ceiling 1% of the time. So you're not gaining anything really by having him at that 1% owned. Now, if his ceiling is there maybe 20% of the time or something, if the minutes increase is justifying him being somebody who you should consider, maybe his projection is 19 fantasy points and his ceiling is 26 fantasy points or something like that. Uh, that makes sense. You can definitely want to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to leverage the field by having him, but the, the projections and, and everything leading up to him is baseline. It just didn't really make sense last night. Right. If you were going to do anything, I would think you, you, you play Brunson and you play him with Kleber in the center spot, right? You go the cheap center, but you use leverage off of the other Mavs pieces by go, I'm not going to play Hardaway in my lineup. I'm not going to play Richardson, right? I'm not going to play Dorian Finney-Smith. I'm going to play Brunson the guy that projects ridiculously, and play Kleber as the cheap center and then pay up for uh, uh, Paul George or Kawhi or a LeBron or an AD, Durant, Irving. Like, those, those guys were under-owned. Donovan Mitchell was under-owned. Like, there were a lot of under-owned players. Like, Zach the Levine ended up higher, high-owned because, obviously, he correlates well with the Mavs, right? So, I mean, and, and he projected well. So, it's not, it's not, like, it's not like he didn't. Uh, but uh, we saw DeRozan get a bump with uh, with no LaMarcus Aldridge in. Uh, that game happened to be a blowout. Like, DeRozan probably was on his way to 45 to 50 points. But uh, when you don't get your last rotation, that's 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 what happens. Uh, so there, there were a lot of spots to, to differentiate while still playing Mavericks. Because a lot of people go, oh, they're going to be chalk. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to X out the game. It's like... It, Dude, look at look at the projections. Like Luca, Luca is out. All that usage has to go somewhere. Right? As long as it's not a blowout, most likely at least one, if not two or three, three of them are going to get there for a GPP target score. Just find a way to get different. Like I, I was saying in the in the RG Discord this morning, because someone was asking about how how could I have played the Mavs Bulls game differently, and I was talking about playing like a Brunson plus Kleber. And instead of playing Zach Levine, playing someone like Kobe White, right? So similar, similar position, cheaper, you plug him in and then you're still able to then go get Curry in the utility. And then you, you could, you could still have a different enough lineup while still playing chalk and uh, how different you get depends on the field size. So like, like it's quite possible Brunson plus Kleber plus Levine and none of the other Mavs. It's still perfectly fine in small field contests. It's like I'm gonna I'm gonna bank on Richardson and Hardaway and Dorian Finney-Smith busting, or at least having a mediocre game, which is what they had. And you know, Brunson and Kleber got me there with Levine, and Levine had a great game. And yeah, if you had Curry in that lineup, I mean, you'd you'd have shot at first place with that lineup because of all the relative value you gained by Josh Richardson only having a five x game or Hardaway only having a 4X game, and them being in a third of people's lineups. Jokic, 53, is not a ceiling score. I mean, it's a, it's it's raw points. You're going to need raw points. But, like, he wasn't necessary either. So we have a lot of guys. I mean, Richardson, 37%. And this is in the large field. 37%. Jokic, 36%. Burke, 34%. DeRozan, 32%. Uh, they were all unnecessary. Like all of them were likely not going to be. I mean, obviously Durant could Durant twenty eight percent. He put up fifty one. We have Zach Levine. He put up fifty nine. Russell Westbrook fifty. That was that even necessary for his price? 
Thad Young was 21% and he only put up 14. So you see a lot of, like, while they didn't, like, bust for large field GPPs, they did. Yeah, yeah, when you're considering that it is a GPP where if you only min cash, like, you basically lost, uh, there, there is... There were a lot of guys that ended up being disappointments. That young is one that I had a lot of exposure to that I'm like, I was looking through my lineups this morning. I'm like, man, I really, I, I should have gone to somebody else for the Bulls. I should have focused a little bit more on Zach Levine. I should have focused a little bit more on somebody else other than Thad Young, who I know does not have a lot of usage and ended up being 28% owned. And I think where I, I don't even remember how much I had him projected for. 25% ownership. I still had him being a good play projected at like 26 fantasy points, but I should have looked around a little bit more and maybe tried to pivot away from him. Maybe a little bit more towards somebody like Maxi Kleber, maybe it's more towards somebody like Dwight Powell. That's another center for Dallas that should have had a little bit more of a usage bump, stuff like that. There were a lot of guys that ended up falling apart and a lot of condensed ownership. I mentioned Russell Westbrook earlier and, Russell Westbrook, he fell apart, but had he put up 65 fantasy points at 5% owned, uh, he, he beats the Jokic chalk by a plenty, and he ends up being a really, really good play in GPPs. Um, Steph Curry ended up having a nuclear night, but he was still one of those guys who was projected to be higher owned. Um, there, there were just a lot of guys last night where in GPPs, there, there were a couple chalk pieces that ended up dominating, but a lot of chalk did actually fail. So last night actually turned out to be a pretty fun night for GPPs. Right, and we could see from exposures here that, I mean, you'll see, what, this is what you should be doing in Results DB every morning, okay? Results DB is free. You don't even need to be a Roto-Grinders Premium member to use it. And you could look at exposures. I mean, I could go back to the slate right here. All the, all the, they'll update it a little bit further. They, they, they give me an initial update in the morning so I could do this show. But they'll they'll have more contests, all the public facing contests. So we get the you know if you want to have the the quarter arcade that'll be in here soon. But the double ups and the the, the large field eight eighty eight, right? The hundred thousand high stakes contest. But you can go in here. You could look at the winning lineups. You could look at the top winning. You could look at the constructions. You could also go to this ownership tab and see the differences between the contests. Right, they were on this in the mega eights, but not this in the, this other contest. So you could, you this is a great research tool to to learn more about strategy and lineup construction from the top players, and also kind of double check your own work. Right, if like oh, a lot of times like if let's say for instance, James Jalen Brunson like died, whatever, not like like physically died, but I mean whatever, he somehow his. I know he had a 93% chance of smashing, but maybe this was the 7% of the time he didn't. And then you're cursing the wind. I can't believe, I can't believe, everyone said Jalen Branson, it was, it, was, it was supposed to be a great play. And then you go, and you go, and I, I, could, I, could, I could go over here, and, uh, and I could look and see that, like, like, like every sharp player, like, played a ton of them, right? Like, all, always think in your mind, would I be willing to trade my lifetime results with this other player? And if the answer is yes, then obviously they're making, I want to make the decisions that they're making on a, on a daily basis. Now, if we go through I, on, on, that, on that screen, which I, I managed to lose by, by switching around, uh, different good GPP players, large field players, have different strategies. 
right? Petty theft went one way. Utica went this way. Uh, so one of one of them had played 20% Gary Harris. Obviously a weak small forward position. So managed to fill it in with Gary Harris. This is seven points. Uh, but I understand why it was there. I did it with Cam Reddish the other day, right? I didn't have any small forwards in my pod. Like, do I, who do I play more of? This guy or this guy? I'm like, like, screw it. I'm just going to play 60% Cam Reddish and hopefully he gets there. And he didn't. So it looks weird. It looks weird to look and go, well, why did you have 20% Gary Harris? But but I, I absolutely get it. It wasn't because he was Gary Harris. It's because he, the, the way that his lineup constructions were working, he was going very heavy, high-end point guard, high-end center, and just needed needed small forwards. I mean, kind of like, if you're going to play Kyrie Irving, uh, Steph Curry, and Nikola Jokic, like, who's going to be your small, who's going to, who's going to be your small forward? I mean, it's going to be some 4K guy, and, uh, and yeah, there were, there were guys available. It, it could be Dorian Finney-Smith, but do you want to have 100% of that guy? Probably not. So it's like, how do I diversify my small forward? Let me find another small forward. Happened to be Gary Harris. So you could look through results DB and see that type of stuff. This is what I this is what I do. That's why I scheduled these shows. 11 in the morning, every weekday, Monday through Friday, on the Roto Grinders YouTube channel. Because this is when I would be waking up. I wake up not at nine, at ten. I know, James, you you wake up at like the crack of dawn. Four thirty AM, dude. Your time, which is a little bit a little bit so you're 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 up. Yeah, but you're like five. You're up for five hours before I even wake up. Yeah, I need me time, dude. <laughs> that's that's my time to uh, drink my coffee and read my books and get all my my like scrapes done. Like for all my data scraping, like that's that's one of the times I play some video games because I know that as soon as like seven thirty a.m. comes around, like I'm at my computer, I'm doing my research, I'm setting up my models, I'm looking at what I missed last night. Like every single day, I, I make sure that I have a couple hours to do things that keep me sane before doing the insane thing of DFS as a living. Yeah, but DFS is the thing that does keep me sane. Oh, that's fair. Right? So uh, we, we are different. Like, if I, if I got up at 6 in the morning, what, what would I do? <laughs> like, what, I mean, what I would be doing, I would, I would, be, I would be just doing this earlier. Like, that's, right. that's, that's the only difference. I'd be, I don't, I don't. This is what keeps me safe. If it wasn't for this, I don't know what the hell I'd do. I'd be staring sure. at a wall. <laughs> Watching paint dry or something, man. Right. Uh, yeah, Ronald Coley asked about, uh, everyone always asks about results DB for FanDuel. Uh, it's 2021 and FanDuel still does not have uh, CSV downloads for contests. Uh, go. That's petition to them, right? DK has had it for five years already that, Makes it available. Like if you're in the contest, you could you could get it. But if you're not, like you're you're done. So so that's the reason why Results DB is only for DraftKings and not for FanDuel. It's not a Roto Grinders thing. It's a FanDuel thing. So complain to them. So uh, so since you were up early in the morning, obviously running your models, right? You're. Uh, I'm going to bring up today's slate in yeah. uh, lineup HQ. And we have we have our like algorithmically initial projections loaded in. I believe I don't know if the road, if the product projections team put in any initial usage adjustments. I'll I'll reload it. Like people come for the like the the picks early in the day. This is not it's not this type it's not this type of show, right? If you're coming, okay, ten thirteen, we got it. Okay, so we got we got somewhat reasonably uh, initial projections uh, for DraftKings and FanDuel. 
which will change throughout the day. These projections are updated like like literally like 20 times a day. We got uh, Noto, Tuttle, Jamino, SBK, Reeves, Alan Lem. Uh, I missed someone. Probably. I probably missed someone. Meansy, obviously. Uh, they're in the projections team. They, they discuss this stuff all day. Literally all I Sometimes they're in, in our Slack flat fighting over one minute here and there for players. So... So they they come up with the minutes and everything, run it through the model. Uh, Jamino uh, tests this out on a daily basis, has the ownership and everything. So we don't have ownership. We don't. We 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 barely have initial projections for the slate. So that's why, like, this show is not about like who to play tonight. We're kind of just looking at based on our initial. If nothing changes, but James, like, nothing. It, do we ever get a slate where like it's now eleven forty one Eastern? And it's like, no, no, these projections don't have to change at all, right? Like, everything's going to go according to plan. That, like, does it ever happen? It has maybe happened once in, like, five years, dude. <laughs> it's, and it's the worst. Like, I, I, I had to, uh, when I started doing my own models, they were really inefficient, right? Like, it would take me, like, five minutes to run through the simulations of the slate. And that was fine when it was just me. But it's not just me anymore. And so I had to rewrite all my stuff, and they only take about 45 seconds to run now. But still, when you have to be doing that when news is breaking within an hour of the slate locking, and you're trying to go through your exposures, and you're trying to upload back into Lineup HQ, and you're trying to rerun your lineups and rerun your exposures, like with all the extra news, anything that happens, I I, I always say that if you're building lineups at 11 a.m., it's for NBA. It's like building your lineups at on Monday for NFL, like the Monday before that Sunday, right? Like there is nothing that is going to happen at 11 a.m. when you're building your lineups that is is hardly even going to be relevant later on. Like maybe there's some things. I, I mean, right now I can see that Julius Randle is is far underpriced for what I think he's going to be able to do on Fanduel. Maybe not on DraftKings. Oh, he's I have underpriced. Right on, yeah. Well, everyone's underpriced on Fanduel. That's why <laughs> no, you need no, like you know, 450 points to win there. On DraftKings, I have underpriced too. Like on Fanduel, he's way underpriced. On DraftKings, I have him as slightly underpriced. But like, what I'm saying is that there's not like him looking like a pretty decent value right now doesn't mean anything later on. Like that could change drastically. Maybe I drop his minutes because I do some more research today, or maybe I up somebody else's usage or something like that. Clint Capella at 6,100 looks like a good value now, but I don't know if that's going to stick. I don't know what his ownership is going to look like. I don't know if he's still going to be a good play later on based on whatever ownership he has. Like everything right now that I'm looking at, it's like, okay, this is cool to see. I like using my eyeballs, but it's not, it's, it might not affect my lineups later at all. Greg Swenson asks, uh, when I study, Results DB. I focus on how the top players constructed their lineups to acquire sufficient leverage for the contest as opposed to the exposures they had on players. Yes, that is. But I mean, obviously it's made up of players. So how did they do that? What were their construct? What did their constructions look like? So that's why I'm not necessarily in results DB. I mean, I, yeah, I, 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 the screen, I, I lost the screen that had all those players on it. I'm not just looking at the players. I'm looking at, okay, well, if they played a ton of Brunson, where do they get different? Who do they get different with? Oh, it was with this player in this position, whatever. And then I could go in and I could look at individual lineups if I want to. I could look at 
giant squids line up here and and petty thefts line up there if I if I want to. But a lot of times through experience, you could just look through someone's exposures in 150 lineups and go, I see how their constructions went, right? More or less. Oh, they went down here. Oh, oh, they played a lot of Nurkic in the mid-range center. And that correlated. So I, I take a look at Nurkic and go, if they had a lot of Nurkic, let me guess. They had a lot of curry. And I go and they had 80% curry. Like it makes it makes sense because it was a Portland Golden State game. If they had a lot of Nurkic and no curry, I'm like, I'm expecting to see Ubre or Wiggins or something. And then next thing you know, you see 40% Ubre, 40% Wiggins. And it's like, okay, now I, I get the constructions. So that's what you're doing in results DB. It's just that with more experience, I could just look at someone's exposures and could get a sense of how their lineups were built. But if you have to go one by one even and just look at how they constructed lineups, then do that. Do that for the single entry and the three max stuff. Right, just go in there and look at that. And the 150s, people talk in terms of exposures, but it doesn't. the exposure doesn't matter. Having 80% of a player in, in, in all bad lineups doesn't matter, right? So it's like, oh, I'm over the field, and it's all in crappy lineups. Like, right, who cares? Who cares what the actual exposure is? But what I like doing uh, on the initial projections in the morning, James, is I like just using just default, let me run 150 lineups. Not because I'm going to use 150 lineups to just run, run it based on our current projections that could gotten, they could change it. Done, right? Two minutes, you take two minutes off someone, they're gone. You don't even show up in any of these anymore, right? So I just like running just to see what the constructions kind of look like. So based on our projections, initial as of 10.13 in the morning, I always have to say this because people will watch this uh, later. At like four o'clock, you know, there, you know, you could watch us on replay on YouTube. Hit that thumbs up button. Hit the thumbs up button. It helps us out. I, at least I'm told it helps us out. Uh, keep my apple juice cold, even though I drank it all. But the one in the fridge, it's it's keeping cold by itself. Uh, so people will listen at like three o'clock, four o'clock. It's available via iTunes. The Daily Fantasy Fix feed is now the DFS pregame show feed, so you can subscribe on iTunes, and this gets posted like about a half an hour or something, whenever Devin wakes up and posts this after the show. Uh, so but people listen and go, oh, I played a lot of this guy because you were talking about it on the, because they came up, Jason Tatum is in 98%, 147 out of 150 lineups. Yeah, it's at, at 10, 13 in the morning. Like, that, 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 who knows? Peyton Pritchard comes up in 76% of uh, 150 but that's based on the fact that in our projections, I'm assuming uh, Jeff Teague is out, right? I mean, because we're waiting on that news. He's, I mean, he had a sp- uh, sprained ankle. Uh, it's a back-to-back or whatever, and maybe he doesn't play. But maybe he does. Once you put Teague back on, then Pritchard goes away, and this whole construction changes, right? Peyton Pritchard is a $3,700 uh, point guard. So he's going to fill up a point guard spot. We have Rashawn Holmes. We have John Wall coming up on DraftKings. So we take a look at the top construction and we see cheap center, cheap center, two cheap centers, Tristan Thompson. See a bunch of Tristan Thompson, Rashawn Holmes type lineups. And then you pay up at guard. Wall, Curry. Those types of lineups. We see some Gordon Hayward because of small forward position. Uh, We see some Harrison Bark. It's even because a small forward is weak. So this is what I'm looking at. Like if nothing were to change, these would be the types of construction. So now looking at this Rashawn, like 
obviously, Rashawn Holmes. If he fails, I mean, to me, the the, the leverage available for Rashawn Holmes is easy because, like, there's, there's someone that is absolutely negatively correlated to him that will probably have three times less ownership. And you know who that is, James. Marvin Bagley. Right. Doesn't mean Marvin Bagley's a, a good play. I'm just saying if Rashawn Holmes is chalk, uh, a guy that you're never shocked has two fouls in the first two minutes of the game. Right? You're smiling, right? If Rashawn Holmes... <laughs> right? You're getting there right. If Rashawn Holmes is going to be 40% on, on this slate on what? A nine-game slate? And he's high variance like that? Like, you play Marvin Bagley, and Marvin Bagley may play in 28 to 30 minutes if Rashawn Holmes gets into foul trouble. Because, I mean, they come in for one another. They're, they're, abs- they're, they're the prototypical negatively correlated players. So that's what I'm looking at this late. Like, I'm not looking at how good of a play Rashawn Holmes is. Maybe he's in my cash lineup. But he seems like the perfect candidate to... If he's going to be the highest-owned guy, like, I'm going to build GPP lineups, a lot of them without him. Yeah, it's... And, you know, it's it's interesting, especially just regarding that specific interaction between Rashawn Holmes and Marvin Bagley. They both average about one fantasy point per minute. They both have a higher standard deviation on this on the season of 1.24 fantasy points per minute. Uh, Martin Bagley is a little bit lower on his floor at 0.76. Sean Holmes 0.84. But like, if if there's going to be a 20 percent difference between the ownership of those two players, and Rashawn Holmes ends up getting in foul trouble or something like that, we've all been there. Rashawn Holmes has killed all of us at least one time in the last you know year and a half. Uh, then Marvin Bagley is, is going to crush. And the best part is. Rashawn Holmes, DraftKings, 5,600. Marvin Bagley, 5,500. It doesn't even change your roster construction. I mean, you literally stay with the same roster construction. All you're doing is pivoting $100 less to Marvin Bagley. So something like that, when when we get ownership later on, you know, around 3 p.m. or so when, when we get ownership, uh, if Rashawn Holmes ends up looking like he's going to be 30% owned on a nine-game slate and Marvin Bagley is going to be 10 to 15% owned. That's a very, very easy decision, I think, in GPPs to uh, to have a lot more exposure there. I mean, even right now, as of right now, my projection for them is only five points difference. I wouldn't even have to think about making that change. Right. I don't even think the, I don't even think the ownership is even going to be that close. I think most projection systems will have homes significantly enough higher than Bagley that that it'll never, unless you want a meeting lineup that's slightly lower, it's never going to, you're going to see that jammed in. I, I'm expecting a, a gap more like a 3x, 4x gap than a 2x gap. Like you're talking about 30 and 15. I think it's going to be something more like like 40 and 10 or 38 and 7 or, you know, so, something like that. That uh, that it doesn't mean you play Bagley. Maybe you play neither of them, right? I just think that that's, that's going to be one of the highest variance spots on the slate today. And also we have uh, uh, Stephen Smith posting over here talking about the Luca situation. We, we, we're not even sure if Luca's playing today, right? Our projections currently have Luca in because he's he's questionable. Like anytime a player is questionable or probable, we uh, Roto-Grinders has him in the projections. When a guy is doubtful, we take them out. So so right now we may, we, we may have... Uh, how many Mavs do we play in, in our lineups again today? I mean, right? 
Yeah, I, I, Luca right now, I, I also have him projected in, uh, you know, 54 fantasy points, something like that. But if he's out, Brunson still 3,300. Uh, Trey Burke, 3,400. Um, Josh Richardson, 5,300. Max Kleber, 3,900. Like, we're, if, if Luca is out again, we have the exact same situation as yesterday. However, there's the extra wrinkle now of the recency bias on Jalen Brunson being the guy that is going to get everything. People are going to have that very fresh in their minds. So if Luca is out, today is maybe a day to go with the petty theft route of saying, well, everybody. I mean, if if Luca's out tonight, Jalen Brunson is not going to be just 50% owned. He'll be like 80-something percent owned. And at that point, then you start making a couple decisions of, well, yes, you still technically have – yeah, but he's um, thirty three hundred again. No, no, no. I, I'm saying, he's, I'm saying. Let, let me finish the thought. Like, I agree, and he is still going to be like my T val form is still going to be like ninety four percent. You're still going to have fourteen percent over the eighty percent field. But now you are going to be starting to think about okay, if all the field is going to be on him, how can I also get even more different in taking him? Right, like with the Maxi Clever or with the uh, Dwight Powell or something like that. Whereas yesterday's decision was almost as easy as just played all the Jalen Brunson. Today, if he if Luca is going to be out again, I, I do think that you have to make a little bit more consideration of how you're going to be different. Because if you have all of the Jalen Brunson with the rest of the field, you're still competing with 80% of the field. You have to have more relative points somewhere else now. Uh, true, true with that. When you were mentioning that, I was like, I didn't check Brunson's price yet, so maybe they priced him up to fifty five hundred. Like, no, no, they didn't move him, so that's why. That's why you think I had to interrupt you. It's like, no, yeah. if he's eighty percent owned in that situation, he's still under owned. He's still, yeah, I still, still play. Uh, Donnie Watson asks if Fournier ends up being out uh, about T Ross since he ends up playing with the first unit more. Well, Ross never plays with the first unit. Like Michael Carter Williams will start. And T. Ross uh, still plays with the second unit, but he still closes. So, like, Fournier and Ross aren't as related as as you think they are. It, it bumps up Ross's minutes. Like, Ross is more likely to play later into the second or fourth quarter because Fournier wouldn't be coming back in at that point. But outside of that, like, like it, it, it affects more Michael Carter-Williams and Dwayne Bacon than anything else. But this will all be reflected in projections anyway. So like I I don't even have to worry about it. It's like oh I just I'll just notice in projections. Like I didn't even I didn't have to know anything about Jeff Teague's situation to know that if I'm getting seventy six percent Peyton Pritchard in my in my one fifty build right now with default settings, that like they got to be a point guard out for the Celtics at some point where some one of the guards is gone. It's either Marcus Smart or Teague or whatever. I just happen to know it's Teague. So so you can rely just to, even on just projections for for the news. There has to be a reason why certain people are popping and certain people aren't. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frederick Dute, here's a more general question, which you're 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 able to ask if you want to know. Just in general, this is I mean this is the forum. Eleven in the mornings. I'm on every day. I know James James will be here with me on Mondays, but I'm on here every day, and it doesn't have to be about this slate. It doesn't have to be yesterday's slate. We we'll go off on tangents on strategy that may take up a half an hour. And because that'll be useful. The kids are into this teaching time. So uh, Frederick Duke asks, for someone completely new to NBA DFS, how do I determine which players are negatively correlated? So James, in the instance that we were talking about, one of them is like the obvious common sense one. Guys that come in and out of the game for each other. Holmes and Bagley 
rarely share the court. If one gets into foul trouble, the other one is going to come in. If one playing well, the other one isn't going to play. So we have, you know, obviously point like, you're not, you're not going to see Brad Wanamaker and Steph Curry on the court at the same time, right? I mean, like obviously they're negatively correlated. I mean, most likely you're not playing Brad Wanamaker because he doesn't play enough minutes because obviously Steph Curry's in front of him. But those are the main situations of players being negatively correlated. But in DFS, we don't necessarily care about like finding positive correlation on like assists and buckets. We're looking at people's salaries and go, in a GPP, we're going to need like an 80th percentile plus outcome, right? We're going to need to hit some 5x plus 10 target score or 7x or whatever you want to set as a target score. And the higher the price the players are, like it's obviously the higher the score that they need to get. So I consider two players on the same team with uh, that are much more reliant on shooting to reach their ceiling to be negatively correlated to one another, depending on their price. If they're both cheap, who cares, right? They could both hit 40 and for 4K, great, that's 10X, give it to me. But uh, I think when a lot of people go wrong in, in finding the negative correlation is thinking in terms of, well, I can't play two teammates or I can't play, I, I don't care about the price because we also have these things called assists and rebounds and other stats that aren't just scoring. So... A lot of times, if I'm playing two guys in my lineup from the same team, a lot of times it's it's a scorer and a peripheral guy, like like uh, a shooter and a big guy type of thing, less and and less so like two shooters, right, James? Yeah, it's it's about having players that are robust, uh, whereas you don't want to take players that. I, I should say first that I, I think that correlation is something that you shouldn't focus a whole lot in in NBA DFS. Uh, it gets kind of overblown in, in like, exactly as Jordan mentioned, like players playing with each other, players on the same team, players against each other even uh, in, in the same game environment. I, I think a lot of that kind of stuff is overblown and taken into effect in the projections already. Um, and you can double count pretty easily. But when you have players that have to uh, score points, that's probably the biggest one where if you have, like, Kelly Oubre and Andrew Wiggins are likely not going to find their ceilings together in the same game, unless the Warriors put up, like, 160 real-life points. Because Curry's going to be scoring points, and Oubre has to score points, and Wiggins has to score points, and Oubre and Wiggins don't do anything but score points. So those two players, I think that you need to avoid because they are negatively correlated in that aspect. Another one that I think is kind of important is rebounds. Whereas if there are two players on the same team that have to have a whole lot of rebounds, or even in the same game, that have to have a lot of rebounds, rebounds are a finite resource on a basketball court, right? So, yeah, there's going to be more rebounds to be had if both teams are just bricking shots constantly. But if you have two players that rely on rebounds, you know, Andre Drummond, he's not finding a ceiling unless he gets, like, all of the rebounds. Um, DeAndre Jordan is another person who relies on rebounds to find a ceiling. Stuff like that, you need to take into consideration players who have one way of getting to their ceiling and avoid playing them together, whether it be points or whether it be rebounds. Um, assists are a different story. You can get assists in different ways. Steals and blocks are very individualized and kind of random events. But points and rebounds, those are the ones that I mostly try to avoid because they're finite resources. And I, I would rather just focus on players that can get there a lot of different ways. 
Um, somebody like OG Ananobi, who can have steals and blocks and rebounds and assists and points, and, and playing him with anybody else on the team doesn't really matter because he's so robust. Russell Westbrook, the same way. He's so robust in the way that he gets points. He gets points in a vast array of different categories that it doesn't really matter who else you play him with. So just try to think about players that that end up scoring points in a lot of different ways and aren't just one-dimensional in the way they can find their ceiling. Right, and it also depends on field size. It depends mm-hmm. on field size, it depends on slate size. Like, when, when, when we have 10, 12-game slates and you're playing large field GPPs, like, you need to find the nuts. Like, it, like the, oh, I'm playing two guys from the same game. Like, that type, type of stuff is less important. You're playing a three-game slate? Like, when you're playing a three-game slate, you, you, raw points matter. You could win a GPP with a snowflake in your lineup because of how things play out. So, yeah, a, a common one would be, like, LeBron and AD, Kyrie and Durant. You know, those types of things. That, on a 10-game slate, I'm unlikely to play those guys together because the likelihood of them both hitting a, a GPP winning ceiling on a 10-game slate with so many other players on the slate is going to be lower. Doesn't mean it can't happen. It just means it's going to be lower. But on a three-game slate, two the two other games blow out, and all you need is <laughs> you need 48 from Kyrie and 52 from 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 Durant, and and then you're good as long as you don't have a snowflake, you win. I mean, like, like because it's a three-game slate, like there aren't as many there aren't as many other players that have a chance of having an outlier result. It's very similar to MLB, where. On a fifteen, on a thirteen to fifteen game MLB slate, the likelihood of one of these teams putting up twelve runs is high, because one of you don't know which one it's going to be. But there's thirty, there's there's thirty teams playing on a slate with four baseball games. Like it's less likely that one of these teams puts up twelve because there's just less teams. So these games should just all go five to one, three to two, and that the correlation of the stack doesn't matter as much anymore. But on large slates. In baseball, it matters. And the same thing for, for basketball. That smaller slates, raw points matters more than, you know, getting every single player with a 7X, 8X in your lineup. But on large slates, like, it's 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 really hard. For large field GPPs, at least, it's, it's, it's next to impossible to win a GPP without, like, your lineup, like, all on fire. Like, so you have to maximize for that fire as much as possible. And yes, we may have some games where Westbrook and Beal both put up 65 plus. It can happen. It's just that it's less likely to happen. So if I know that it's less likely to happen, why am I purposely building it into my lineup, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you have to, on larger slates, you really have to pay attention in like lineup HQ. You got to really take advantage of the grouping functions got to take advantage of limiting players on the same team. Um, last year, there there was a time when you could play Harden and Westbrook in the same lineup, simply because Westbrook was way underpriced for like four games. But as soon as he ended up being in the 9K range and Harden was in the 10 to 11K range, that, that was a situation where on a large game or, or on a large slate where you have 10 games, playing those two guys together in the same lineup just doesn't make any sense. You, you end up having a spot where both of them have to absolutely just dominate in order to end up crushing when you have people like LeBron James and you have Luka and you have Giannis and these other guys on the slate who uh, can also get there and aren't in the same game. So you're really just playing 
uh, the percentages and you're playing how often this kind of thing can happen. If, if one thing happens less than another thing, then you should be doing the other thing as much as you possibly can. It's not always going to work out that way. Sometimes you're in a position where it can't be like that and you have to just like kind of go for raw points. But that's mostly on smaller slates and on bigger slates. I mean, tonight is a nine game slate with a lot of guys that are kind of priced up, right? Luca at 10-3, James Harden at 11-1, Joel Embiid at 9-9, Steph Curry 9,300. Uh, these guys are priced up. Trey Young, 9,800. There's a lot of studs on, on this slate. And if one of them ends up being grossly owned over the other ones, then you're going to have some leverage on the other ones. Or if one ends up being much less owned than the other ones, then all these guys have a relative ceiling of 55 plus fantasy points, 60 plus fantasy points. They're, that's why they're priced like that. So ending up playing two guys on the same team that are priced way up uh, doesn't make as much sense on a slate like tonight as it would if it was a three-game slate and we didn't have as many different options that could get you those raw points. Right, and, and we also obviously... Need to find out about the statuses of some of these guys. Luca, even Harden's listed. But Harden's listed is questionable, right? Right? Maybe he doesn't play. We, dude, it could be. We. I mean, this is NBA DFS, James. Right? We're gonna have what? What's gonna happen is that Harden is gonna be questionable, right? Uh, Luca's gonna be questionable. Uh, they're both gonna play, and Steph Curry's gonna be the one that's out. Mm-hmm. Right? The, the one that wasn't even on the injury. I mean. We get this. I if you're new to NBA DFS, this is this is normal. This is not like people think it's crazy season. Wait until we get to the last like three weeks of the season. Ugh. Like the last three weeks of the season is like the crazy on top of the crazy. Where you? It, <laughs> it's the worst, dude. Yeah, but that's the reason. But th- this is the reason why. Uh, and I, I'm always in the Roto Grinders Discord. Feel free sign up for premium. RotoGrinders.com/slash/premium. Get ten dollars off your first month. Uh, I'm always in there answering questions and stuff. But people are talking to me at 11 in the morning going, does this look like a good lineup? It's like, dude, I don't even start building my lineups until 6 o'clock. What are you talking about? We're seven hours away from me even thinking about what lineup I'm putting together. Uh, because, like, it, to me, the 5.30 uh, Eastern injury report, to me, like, that's that's the one that I want to see. Like, the 1.30, yeah, sure, great. Uh, that's the preliminary. That's, like, after shoot-around. And then, but the 5.30 one is the one where, like, they upgrade if they turn someone from questionable to doubtful, they turn someone from probable to questionable. Like at least then I could get a much better sense of projections, uh, ownership, and then start building my lineups. Then, then like like now. That's why I said I'll run 150. I'll see, I'll take a look at their medians, I'll take a look at the ceilings. I'll go, okay, let me take a look at lineups without Peyton Pritchard. Let me take a line look at lineups without Tristan Thompson. Let me take a look at lineups that if Luke is in, do I, if I play Luca, what do those lineups look like? And then, like, by by two o'clock, I'll look at my watch at one thirty. They'll rule out someone or something like that. And I'll have to do that all over again. So it's like, do I want to spend my entire day doing the same work over and over and over again, knowing that I would say ninety first five percent of the time, like I'm not, I'll just wait till five thirty Eastern and like I could do it then. So if you want to practice, do it throughout the day. I mean, I mean. That I James, I see now why you need me time. I see why you need me time in the morning because you know because once the day starts and shoot arounds and practice and injury reports, like you must have to run your models like like ten times a day. At, yeah, at least ten times a day. I run it once in the morning, usually around now. I'll, I'll usually try to have them up at around like twelve p.m. Eastern. 
uh, and then I'll run them around 2 p.m., and then I'll run around 3, and then 4, and then 4.15, and then 4.45, and then 5, and, you know, just keep running them over and over again so that everything is up to date. And, I mean, most of the time what I'm going to be doing is starting around 10, and this is just remember, we, we have only NBA right now during the day. But I also do Counter-Strike, and I also do League of Legends, which are both daily sports. And then when NFL is on top of it, and NHL, like, yeah, I need those three hours in the morning for me to stay sane. Because during the entire day, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., I'm just running models all day. Well, there, there's, there's worse things to do in life. Absolutely. I'd rather I'm run a different happy. type of model if you know what I'm talking about. I hear you do. Is that too early in the morning for that type of joke? Uh, so no, no, J- no, you're you're good. You're you're on cue. Uh, so James, uh, people can follow you on Twitter, paydirt underscore dfs. Yep, that's that's the one. And then you can find all my work over at uh, paydirt.ghost.io. Uh, like I said, I, I run models for literally every single sport um, outside of like soccer and MMA. And I even have guys who like do that kind of stuff in the Discord. So. Um, if you're interested in all of that stuff and you want some game theory talk and, and more of a, a thought on how to play rather than who to play, then I'm your guy. And uh, also, theoryofdfs.com, me and you. 15-hour audio DFS masterclass all about the game theory of DFS, not who to play, but how to play. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at BlenderHD, as usual, BlenderEd on Twitter. So, so you guys have to come up with the name for Mondays. So it's either it's either McCool Mondays, Mondays with McCool, or something else. If you want to call it something, I just run. I James, you know me. You've seen my streams. I yeah. I run with whatever the, the the audience goes with. If it, llamas, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it is. So uh, so so every Monday, James will be uh, joining with me, especially since Sunday slates are kind of boring anyway. So it's a lot of it's a good time on Mondays to kind of refresh the week, talk a little bit more about broader topics. But uh, but I will be back uh, Tuesday and then Wednesday and then Thursday and then Friday, eleven in the morning Eastern time here on YouTube. As well as if you want to watch later, you can always watch the YouTube channel on the RG website or through uh, the the new pregame show feed. You could uh, find it in iTunes or find it whatever place you get your, your podcasts. So uh, so until tomorrow, that has been the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com.